Well, good morning, Oakwood Second Service. So glad you're here today as we are in part four of a series on 1 Peter. So if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn there to 1 Peter. I bring you midwinter greetings, right? I mean, another snowy week. We had to cancel Wednesday night for the uh, second week in the row, but I've checked the forecast this week, and it looks like we're going to be able to do Wednesday night, okay? So Wednesday night dinners is back this week. We have discipleship for children. We have discipleship for youth. We have discipleship for adults. And so if you want to grow in your relationship with Christ, come join us this Wednesday night. Uh, supper starts about 5.15. Uh, church starts at 6.30. And we would love to have you uh, join us. And so if you're one of those that you joined us for a couple weeks and then you've been like, man, they've had to cancel. Hey, we should be back this week and it should be really good. Hey, we are in this series uh, talking, uh, Peter talking to the church and to Christians from a long time ago, but it seems like some of the application and some of the things he's talking about are right here for us today. Now today I'm going to give you a little bit of a warning in that today is a hard sermon, it's a hard passage in two ways, a little bit conceptually, but probably more so in application. And so I think you're going to be challenged for that, so uh, be sure you hang on white knuckles to the uh, pew in front of you, or if you're at home, to the remote control. Uh, white knuckle that remote or your cup of coffee as, uh, as we dig into this this morning. Just to refresh just a little bit over the last uh, few weeks, the first week we learned that Jesus is our living hope. He's not a dead hope, he's a living hope, and so we are to have a living and an active faith in him. The next week, we, we saw that call to holiness, that God's people are called to be set apart and different from the world. And then last week, it amped up even more as uh, Peter challenges Christians to be a royal priesthood, that we are God's representatives to the world, that we are actually the ones that, that are the ones that are going to present the gospel to people to show them the way to Christ Jesus. Now, we're not like the priests of old where we're, an, we're offering animal sacrifices on behalf of people's sins. No, we're offering the living sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the knowledge of him to people so that they can make that decision for themselves to accept or to reject Christ Jesus. And that's what we're called to do. And in today... There's more application from all of these implications, from all of the things that we've built on so far. There's, there's even more. So let's dive into it this morning and read the passage in its entirety. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 11, says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, and he's, he's talking about foreigners and exiles in this world because our citizenship is in heaven. He says, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong, to commend those who do right, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. You need to live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Slaves. In reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering 
because they are conscious of God. And how is it, to your credit, if you receive a beating for doing something wrong and endure it, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this, you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So much to unpack in our short time this morning, so let's get right to it. Uh, what, what can we get out of this passage today? What is the Lord uh, speaking to us, and what is Peter calling Christians to uh, today? The first thing is this. Live such a good moral life that the world notices. We need to live such good moral lives that the world notices. Uh, go, go to verses 11 and 12 right at the beginning of our passage. He says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. It's interesting, he doesn't say to abstain from sin. He says, go even a step further, abstain from the desire for sin. Abstain from sinful desires. And I know you're probably like, what does that look like? When temptation comes your way to gossip, to to maybe slander. When temptation comes your way for you to do something, or to say something, or even to think something that would lead you to sinfulness, he says that we are going to abstain from sinful desires. Why? And then he tells us why there in verse 11. He says, which wage war against your soul. No one wants war. I mean, really. The only time anybody wants war in the world is if you know you can win. If you know you're absolutely going to win. No one wants the cost. No one wants the loss. No one wants to do the battle. No one's looking forward to that. Unless you're just such a superpower that you're going to win. And and this is the same in the Christian walk and the Christian life. The struggle that we have sometimes with the temptation and the sinfulness in our life. This call to evil and to sin wages war against our very soul. Why would we even invite that in? And Peter says, hey, abstain from even sinful desires. And then he goes on and says, hey, live such a good life even amongst the culture, even amongst the pagans, that even if they accuse you of doing something wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. When Christ returns, there would be be good standing for us. And even the world would stand up and notice that, hey, these people are what? Holy, set apart, different And even their good deeds of service glorify Almighty God. Live such good moral lives that the world notices the difference. The second thing this morning, submit yourselves to governing authorities. We are called by God to submit ourselves to governing authorities. Where do we get this idea? Verses 13 through 15. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority unless you disagree with them or their political views. No, doesn't say that. Let's try again. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority unless they're mean and they treat you rotten. No? Unless unless they're just a rotten person. 
unless they're evil. No. This is a hard teaching, isn't it? Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Every human authority? Maybe that's not what he meant. No, that's exactly what he meant. And it's not for your sake. See, this is where the rub is, I think, for us. Is we think, well, it's for my sake. I mean, I'm the one that's suffering here. I'm the one that's having to make decisions here. I'm the one that's having to go through this. And I'm dealing with the manager or the, or the supervisor or, you know, the governing authority. That's I'm dealing with some stuff right now that I've never had to deal with before. And they're rotten and they're wrong. And, and you know, this, this country is based on freedom. We're all supposed to have freedom. And, and so because of that, I don't have to submit myself to every human authority, but just to the ones I want to or just to the ones I agree with or just to the ones that are not evil. But that's not what it says in scripture. Look what it says as you, as you go on here. You have to submit yourselves to every human authority, whether the emperor, that'd be like the president for us today, okay, the, the supreme ruling authority, and that's what he says is the supreme authority, or to governors over your state. Oh, back then it was over uh, provinces and over territories. These governors were appointed. They were sent out to punish those who do wrong, to commend those who do right. For the emperor, they were kind of the boots on the ground. And then he says, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. See, there's the whole underlying tone here is this is for the Lord's sake because this is for your testimony, your witness to the lost and dying world to win souls and hearts for Jesus Christ. That you would live in such a way that is a glowing example of Christ's likeness. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. But as you'll find out, that Jesus was submissive to human authority. And we're called to do it. We need to submit, submit ourselves to the governing authorities. Now, this really starts a part here in Peter's letter where he's going to talk a lot about submission. Even into chapter 3, which we're going to be in next week, even in chapter 3, he's still kind of beating this drum of submission. And I realize that submission in and of itself is not a popular topic today. In, 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 a, in a society that seems to celebrate lawlessness, in a world that urges all humans to seek personal fulfillment, submission doesn't seem to align with either one of those. Submission to authority, even if it's the local authorities like law enforcement authorities. No, if we, don't, if we don't agree, we don't, we don't like something that happened or something that they did or something that they didn't do, you know, now, 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 now this is the day, this is the time where we rebel, right? This is the time where we push back. This is the time where we argue. And, but how many Christians are losing their testimony and the witness to the world because of how they're pushing back on human governing authority? When right here in the context of this passage in Scripture, it's telling us. It, Peter is telling us, hey, don't lose your witness just because you don't like those who are in human authority over you. But submit yourselves to them. Because it's more useful to God if we would model the virtues of God to the lost and dying world. You've heard that before, that, that line that says, to some, you are the only Jesus that they'll ever see or experience. And that's why it's so important that we become more Christ-like, even in circumstances that require us to be submissive 
submissive to human authority, to submissive to government. We'll even talk about that in the workplace because he goes there in verse 18 in just a minute. But we need to remember that we are called by God to submit ourselves to the local governing authorities. It's a part of our testimony to the world. The third thing this morning, don't abuse your freedom in Christ, but submit to God's authority ultimately. Don't abuse your freedom in Christ. Look what he says there in verse 16. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. It's interesting here because it just seems like it's so countercultural that we are free, right? We have freedom and we live as free people. But he says, do not use that freedom as a cover-up for evil. It's almost like Peter is echoing the sentiments of Paul from Romans chapter 6 where he says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And Paul answers that in Romans 6 by saying, by no means we died to sin. This whole reason we need Jesus is because of the sinner life. How can we live in it any longer? He's saying, yeah, I know you have this freedom in Christ, and I know Christ can forgive your sins, but he's also called to purify us from all unrighteousness. He's called, to, he's called to be the one that purifies us so that we can walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. So live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. You see, many of us, we, the bottom line is it's hard for us to, to work out and to live out respectful submission to authority in our life. Uh, it's interesting, that, that word there uh, at the end of verse 16, it says slave. That word in the Greek is this word doulos. It gives us the idea of being a bondservant. Slave is not a bad English rendering of the word, but the idea of a bond servant was kind of a servant that was bonded to their master for life. The definition of a slave is one who gives himself up wholly to someone else's will. When you accept Christ Jesus as your Savior, but also as your Lord, when you come under his umbrella of protection and come into his family as a co-heir with Christ, we find out that we are to live this truth out as well, that we are now servants of God. We are slaves. He is our master. He is our Lord. And we do what the master tells us to do. Now, so many times we can find this kind of language a little bit offensive because of some of the history. We, we have seen slavery mean injustice for many people, for, for really for generations, for centuries. But, but here in the context of scripture, it has a slightly different meaning. Sometimes you were a bond servant and you were an indentured servant because you owed someone a debt. This was how you were paying them back. Sometimes you were hired into it, and many times in scripture, if you were a bond servant, you could actually choose to stay in servanthood. It was almost like a job in the workplace. You could choose to stay in service to this master because they treated you so well, because you loved how they provided for you. They would put a roof over your head. They would put food on your table. You would work for them and you would work hard and be a good worker all day, and they would provide for your needs. 
and maybe, maybe even beyond that. Some people actually chose to stay in slavery and in bondage as a bondservant or as a bond slave to their master because the master treated them well. So is our position in Christ. It's not because it's a have to. It's because who wouldn't want God to be our master? He provides everything we need for life and for godliness through his son, Jesus Christ. And yet the call here is to not abuse this freedom of Christ, but to submit to God's authority ultimately, because when you do this and when you walk this out, that's what you are doing. You're not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. You're going to live as God's slaves. Now look at verse 17. He says, show proper respect to everyone. We're going to be respectful of everyone. Love the family of believers. Love the church. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to fear and revere God Almighty. And notice what he says at the very end. He brings it in again. He says, honor the emperor. Honor your human authorities, those who are appointed over you. And he's echoing the sentiments of verse 13 where he said, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Fourth thing this morning, submit yourself to leadership in the workplace. Submit yourself to leadership in the workplace. You are more likely to win over your boss to the gospel of Jesus Christ if you'll be submissive in the workplace. Now, thankfully, I doubt that anyone here, their job title is slave this morning. Probably, probably not. Nobody here says, hey, I, I'm a slave at my job, I might feel like a slave sometimes, but I'm, you know, I, I, I work for a slave driver at my job. But, you know, I doubt anyone actually has that title here today. Uh, our, our only servant, servanthood and our bond servant is to Jesus Christ himself. But many of us would find ourselves employed. And if you're employed by someone, then you probably have a supervisor, a manager, a boss, whatever, whatever terminology you use in your context. Some of, some of you may have a business or be in a situation where you've been elevated to a position where you are the supervisor, the manager, or the boss. But when we get to this next section of scripture here in 18 through 20, Peter is speaking directly here, and I think the application for us today is in the workplace, that we are to submit to leadership in the workplace. Now here he's again talking about slaves and, and masters, but I think the application is true for us today in the workplace. That though we don't have you know, Christian slaves today, at least in the truest New Testament sense of the word, here Peter is writing as an application for employees to their employers, that we are to be submissive to those that are over us. Whether they are kind or they are unkind, let's read the text in verse 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, because of, again, our relationship with God, Submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate. Isn't it so much nicer to work for the good and considerate manager, right? You know, your favorite manager is always the one that's what? Good and considerate. It's good to work for them. It's easy. It's easy to honor them. It's easy to submit to them, right? But he says to not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. No one, no one likes to work for that. But here he's saying, don't bristle up against that. I know they're harsh. They may be even evil, they may be even wrong, but the call here is to submit yourselves to your manager, supervisor, master, boss. Verse 19, for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. In other words, you may be called on to suffer because you're totally right and you haven't done anything wrong. And they just don't like you because 
you're good and they're evil. But they're saying, for the sake of Christ and for the sake of your witness and testimony, you bear up under that and you glorify God by still being respectful in your submission. Verse 20, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing something wrong and endure it? In other words, if you get in trouble at work for doing something wrong and you endure it, you know, it's kind of like, well, you did something wrong. So how is it to your credit for that? But look what he says. He, he's, drawing a, he, he's drawing some contrast here. He says, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. Because that's what's going on in the world. That's the church. That's the Christians that Peter is writing to here. They're in a world where persecution is happening. And it's just happening because you claim Christ. It's happening because you have chosen to submit yourself to Christ Jesus. Because you worship the almighty God. In this context, the God of Israel, the God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because of that choice, you are under direct persecution from people who are evil. And yet the call of this passage is to submit to them. Respectful submission to every human authority. And then he gets real specific here in verses 18 through 20. I think this is a hard application today because there's so many of us as Christians that feel like sometimes even in our workplace, where do we draw the line? When we have a manager that is just foul-mouthed, when we know what they're doing is not even within company policy, I mean, if they had an evaluation of their work, they'd probably be let go. But they're flying under the radar or whatever's happening. It's hard to submit to an authority like that. It's hard to find yourself in those contexts. And really, let's, let's be honest and let's amp it up even more. In the last two years, this word mandate has come out. We're going to mandate some things now. We're like, hey, hey now, I'm an American, okay? Not only that, I'm an American from the South. And not only that, I'm an American living in Oklahoma, land of the free Home of the brave, you know, all that stuff. I, like, that's me. Like, I actually believe in that stuff. Like, like, I read the Constitution. I memorized preamble. You know, I believe in freedom, the Declaration of Independence. I am independent. And, you know, and so we kind of get riled up with this, you know, this mandate stuff. How does a Christian navigate through when we're dealing with things like that? It's a hard question. What would Christ have us to do? What is Peter telling us to do here is just submit freely to whatever they ask you to do. There is a point at which we are called to have and remain in good conscience to God. If there's something immoral or illegal, hey, I want you to steal funds from the company, and I'm your boss, I'm telling you to do it, and you better do it, and you better submit. Folks, don't steal funds from the company. There's your line, right? But you disagree with your boss, your manager, your supervisor, whoever, whatever their title is over you. You do it in humble submission and respect. You may not respect that person, but folks, we got to respect their position. Okay? I don't agree with everything with uh, President of the United States. I don't, okay? I never thought there would be a day in, my, in time where, where foul language would have to be bleeped out by the president. I just never thought I'd see that. But the last two presidents, we've had that. And as the, as the world and the society begins to still morally corrupt and decay itself, I think we may see it more. I don't necessarily agree, but I have to respect the office, and I have to respect the authority of that office. And I do so in, what does it say in the scripture? 
submission. Respectful submission to human authority, even when we disagree. And I know some of you might be in a work situation where you're working for somebody, maybe you're working for the, for the governor or something, and, and they're, they're saying you have to do this and you have to do that, and they're mandating. As long as you can do that in good conscience to God, you can live out and walk out your faith in Jesus Christ, and you're not going against anything in Scripture, then you humbly submit, even if you disagree. But if you feel like, I can't be in moral conscience to God, this is something morally, this is something in the word of Scripture that is clear, this is something, this is where I'm drawing my line, this is where I take my stand. Do it, but do it with a spirit and an attitude of respect. You see, this is where I think the rub is is that even Christians sometimes, we, you know, we, we, we get out there and, you know, we, uh, you know, we get on Facebook and get out in the world, uh, you know, and it's all about how you do it. You're already abrasive and you're already offensive if you go out against your authorities like that. Be humble. Be submissive in the things that you can be. But when it comes to a place where you draw the line and you know that in good conscience to God, in my relationship to God, I can't go any further than this, then you draw the line there. Best biblical example of this, not the only, but one of the best, one of the best, I should say, because we see it in the New Testament too, but I thought of Daniel. You know the situation with Daniel. Daniel's drawn away to a foreign land, okay? It wasn't Daniel's fault. It wasn't even Daniel's generation that got them into exile. And he's given, they change his name. His God-given Jewish root name, they change it, and they give him a pagan name. Is that where Daniel, is that where Daniel bristled up? Is that where, oh, man, I, there's no way you're changing? No, he, he decided he could live with that. He, and he, he lives there in submissive authority, and he actually becomes part of, of some of the select few in the king's court at that time. But there was a time where he was asked to do something that he knew according to the law of God and in good conscience between him and God, he's like, I can't do this. There's no way. I'm drawing the line here. This is my line. This food that's going to be offered to idols or this food that's going to be offered in worship of the king, the emperor himself, I'm not going to have any part of that. You wanted me to pray to someone other than God, I will not pray to anyone but God. I cannot do that. How did he fight it? Respectful Submission in the things that he could, the things that he could deal with. But when it came to that point where he said, no, this now violates, this is going against God Almighty, he took a stand. But he did so in a respectful way. And in a very respectful way, they did what? They took him to a lion's den. Everyone else that had been thrown in the lion's den had been swallowed up and eaten by the lions, torn to shreds. Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den because he wasn't going to violate his conscience to God. And the next morning they come back and he's still alive. Of course he's alive. He's alive. He walks out of there. You know the rest of the story. God gets the glory. King starts questioning, hmm, who should I worship here? And, you know, maybe they shouldn't worship me. Maybe we should worship the God of Daniel. And, you know, there, there's all these things. God has this plan. It's all in how you approach it. Submit yourselves to leadership in your workplace, and if you do have to take a stand, do it respectfully. But you should, you should be recognized and summarized and characterized as a person who submits to authority. There may become a time 
especially in this day and age, where you feel like, ah, this is the line and I can't cross this line. But when you go to fight that fight, when you are speaking to your manager, your supervisor, your boss, the local governing official, whatever, do so in a respectful way that reflects Christ. And you're going to understand even at a deeper level why as we continue reading this passage. The next thing, last thing this morning, number five, respond in your, to your suffering in the way that Jesus responded in his suffering. Whoa, wait a minute here. We're talking about submission. Not, a, not, not suffering, but respond in your suffering the way Jesus responded in his suffering. Look at verse 21. To this you were called. Salvation, I'm going to heaven to be with Jesus forever. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, you should follow in his steps. You should follow in his steps of behavior and how he responded, but you might want to expect to respond, to respond the way that he did and that the example you might follow is an example of suffering for your faith. Verse 22 kind of tells you how did Jesus deal with this. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. 23. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly, to his heavenly Father, the Lord God Almighty. And this is how Jesus modeled submission and suffering. And it seemed to go hand in hand for him. There was some suffering in his submission. Jesus is the son of God, okay? At any time through the process of, let's just say, Gethsemane to the cross, Jesus could have snapped his fingers called on a million angels, all the legions of angels from heaven, and just annihilated everyone. He had that kind of power. But as an example to us in submission and authority, he submitted himself. False accusations. False trials. When did they even do the trials for Jesus? In the middle of the night. Does that not sound shady? In the middle of the night. Many scholars believe 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning, they're having these trials, making these false accusations against the Son of God, Jesus. And at any moment, Jesus has all the power of heaven behind him. But he says, and he shows, and he models. Let's see, what does he do? Read 21 through 23 again. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. Man, could we apply that scripture today? How many times when someone hurls something at you, do you retaliate? And many Christians, sadly, do this online. For all the world to see. Yes, when you pull down the post, it's still there. If you haven't figured that out yet. Yeah, I did it. Okay, but I deleted the post. It's still there. They can still have access to everything that was posted. You can't have that. But, well, but I deleted it. 
I deleted it before anyone liked it. I mean, I only had two likes. I didn't have 900, you know. And I was right to feel that way. They're wrong and I'm right. Do you not think that Jesus felt that way at some point? False accusations of blasphemy. Like the Son of God's going to blaspheme this heavenly Father. Saying that he wasn't keeping the law. Saying that he broke all these rules and all these laws and these trials. And he did nothing of the sort. Do you not think that for a moment Jesus wanted to retaliate? When he suffered, he made no threats. Sometimes we get online, we threaten each other. You know, well, if you're going to do this, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to call this and we're going to do this. And it's just chaos and pandemonium. And Christians lose their witness in Christ because they got to go off on whatever they got to go off on. And it says here that Jesus, instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In other words, I'm going to live to God's morals, God's standards. God's going to see it through in the end. And guess what? Jesus rose from the dead. Kill him and put him in a tomb, and he's just going to come back. <laughs> he's going to come out, and he's going to have victory ultimately because he proved it that he had power over even death. But pay attention. How did Jesus respond through all the trials? Scripture tells us he was like a sleep. He was like a sheep before he is slaughtered. He didn't say a word. He didn't speak ill. He didn't say, you idiots, you fools. You're going to go to hell for this. There's going to be hell to pay for that. No. In fact, when Jesus, he's whipped, he's beaten, he put a cross on his back, he has to carry it all the way up to Golgotha, the place of the skull. They crucify him on the cross. And what is Jesus' response to all that had been done wrong, to the Romans, to everyone within earshot? What did he say? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. What kind of submission and suffering to the glory of God is that? And Christ did it as a model for us to follow. Do you think you could put up with that supervisor that's just a jerk? Do you could maybe be a little more respectful to your boss even though you don't agree with his vision for the company or the way he's taking the direction? Do it for the glory of God. And do it because Christ did it. As we close today, I want to close with this question. When was the last time that you submitted or suffered for the Lord's sake? And I'm saying for the Lord's sake because of what we read in verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Not for your own good, your own sake, or because you deserve it, but for the Lord's sake, submit yourself to every human authority. When was the last time that you submitted yourself or suffered for the Lord's sake. When was the last time that you kept quiet when you could have popped off? I've had to learn this through the years, man. It's not been easy for me. I'm quick-witted and bitey, and I just want to pop right back. Oh, you want to say that? Oh, I'll just give, woo. But I've learned to be quiet. I've learned to, part of my suffering is when I don't say something. I don't respond to that text. I don't respond to that email. I don't respond to that comment. Sometimes I have to pray about it, be sanctified of my evil thoughts about it. <laughs> Just being real. Not perfect at it, but God's brought me a long way. Sometimes I don't respond for hours, days, weeks. 
And guess what? Sometimes I don't respond at all. And in there, there's a little bit of suffering and submission for me. Because I want to. But at the same time, would Christ have me do that? And sometimes when I have time to think about it and I take a little time out and I pray, I realize no. When was the last time that you had to submit or suffer for the Lord's sake? You didn't agree with your boss. You didn't agree with your supervisor. You did not want to do what your manager told you to do. In your eyes, that was a demotion, or that was under you, or that was beneath you, or maybe just something that, that that's not even in my job description. I, 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 you know, if so-and-so's leaving or quitting, i got to take all this extra stuff on right now, and I'm, you know, I'm the only one that works, and, you know, and we bark, and we bite, and when was the last time you had to be submissive or suffer for the Lord's sake, that you kept your witness and testimony, being a Christ follower and being a Christian, so strong because you're willing to make that sacrifice, to submit yourself, to suffer even for the sake of Christ Jesus. Because if you're sitting here and you're thinking, wow, I don't remember the last time I submitted or suffered for Christ's sake, I bet you might have the opportunity this week. You just might find yourself in a circumstance where you have a choice to make. I could slander my leadership or I could pray. I could push back and send this fiery email to the higher-ups or I could control my tongue and reflect and choose to suffer in the way that Christ did. Perhaps that's part of being the royal priesthood. It's part of being holy and set apart as we submit and suffer different than the world. I just want to encourage you, wherever God has you, live this out and watch how God gets the glory. He doesn't end there, though. Peter doesn't just stop there in verse 23. He gives us the remedy, and he reminds us who Christ is and what he's done for us. Verse 24, he says, He himself, Jesus, the Son of God, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. He felt every pound of that nail so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned. See, we were gone, we were far off, but now, it says, now you have returned to the shepherd, the good shepherd, capital S, shepherd, the overseer, capital O on overseer, the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. You've returned to him. And it's all possible because of him bearing the sins of the world in his body, on the cross. We're going to get to respond to that truth